0: But thank you for coming out. You look beautiful. I hope you're doing all right. You look happy. Uh, you travel the whole country, and everybody is freaking out everywhere I go. People are doing deep yoga breaths in the airport. Uh, they're they're downloading meditation apps on their phone, just trying to keep it together. <laughs> Calm down. You're doing great. You're doing great. I'm telling you, you're doing great. Life isn't perfect. It never was, and it never will be. We all got stuff to deal with. You're doing great. So what? You're fat. Who cares? (laughs) We're all fat. You're either really fat, kind of fat, or trying not to be fat.
1: No, life isn't perfect. But this conversation with Tom Papa is pretty close. It's The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. I didn't totally know what to expect when I invited stand-up comedian Tom Papa to be my guest on this week's show. But I have to say that it turned out to be one of the most fun and rewarding episodes we've done so far. Tom got his start doing stand-up in New York in the mid to late 90s, but his career really took off when he befriended Jerry Seinfeld, who took him on tour as his opener and later made him the host of the short-lived but huge deal-at-the-time NBC show The Marriage Ref. But as Tom demonstrates in our conversation, he is so much more than Jerry Seinfeld's friend. Not only has he become a fantastic stand-up in his own right, but he has taken his career in all kinds of interesting directions, from working with Steven Soderbergh on The Informant, Behind the Candelabra, and The Nick, to turning his obsession with sourdough bread into a travel show for Food Network called Baked. He also co-hosts Netflix's serious XM show What a Joke, with our guest from a couple of weeks ago, Fortune Feimster. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do us a favor by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can even let me know who you want to hear on the show next. For instance, a listener who goes by the name Town recently requested Ben Schwartz, and I think they're going to be pretty happy sometime in the next few weeks. You could also go to ratethispodcast.com slash laugh to rate this podcast wherever you listen. All right, let's get to this week's show with the wonderful Tom Papa. Right. Well, you're a pro. You do this all the time, right? I do. I'm yeah. on the
0: mic all the time. It's so weird. Someone was going through my bio yesterday.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was like, radio, 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 radio. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm like, Do you realize you've been doing radio for so long? <laughs> yeah, that I'm
0: just currently like involved in so much radio. It's weird.
1: Um. Well, we just had Fortune Themester on the show. Oh, uh, sorry uh, about two that. Two weeks <laughs> ago, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. How'd that I mean, go? No, it was good. It was good. It was all yeah, right? yeah. She's your she's your bud though.
0: She's great. <laughs> I do um, love
1: her. Have, did you know her before you started doing the the show with her? A little bit serious.
0: A little bit. There was I had run into her uh, the first time I ever met her. We were just sat next to each other on a flight randomly oh, really? from like Montreal to LA, mm. and uh, we just had a great time like immediately. Mm-hmm. And I just you know when you're putting together a show, you just want someone you can be funny with. Yeah. You know, there's certain people you get around and your funny leaves you. Mm. And then there's other people who they bring it out of you. Yeah. And she was just one of those people. Whenever I would run into her places, like before a show or anything, but I didn't know her, like, as a friend. Mm -hmm. So when Sirius asked uh, who I would, uh, or Netflix asked who I would like to have as a... uh, as a co-host yeah and they gave me a list of some people and i just saw her name Mm -hmm. and i was just like done that's it yeah yeah and i pretended that we had meetings and discussed it (laughs) auditioned (laughs) auditioned tons of other people yeah Yeah. but there was no it was just a yeah i just knew immediately we would and it's panned out that way Yeah,
1: so you've been doing it what like six months yeah we started in july
0: yeah did she say nice things about me
1: Uh yeah, I think so. I think so. We'll have to listen. I don't want to go on and and on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: what have you enjoyed about doing the show in terms of talking? You've had a lot of great comedians on to to talk to, and you get to kind of talk to these people in a different way, Mm -hmm. maybe than you than you would just seeing them at at clubs or seeing them. Yeah. So what what has been fun about it?
0: It's been such a cool uh, like immersion into comedy. Yeah. You know, it's like there's no ads. Our ads are. Our commercial breaks are stand-up comedy from yeah. the Netflix library. That's cool. And then we come back, and we're funny with mm-hmm. each other, and we're always working for comedy. And then we have these comedians come in at all different levels, and they come in and talk about it. So you're just you're just in this comedy mm. hideout every day. Yeah. And looking back at it, like as we've accumulated, we're over a hundred shows now. Wow. It's uh, it's great. It's such a good place to be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like not only you learning about everybody's business and how they carry themselves and, but everybody's always working for a laugh and just trying to enjoy themselves Mm. and play hooky a little bit with their lives. And just being in that atmosphere is such a cool thing.
1: Yeah. I've heard you talk to, you know, some comedians about process and how they work Mm -hmm. and all that. Are there things that you feel like you've learned from talking to these comedians that you've been able to apply to your own Work? Yeah,
0: not for the craft of it. Yeah, not you know. I I have my way of working, yeah. and I've kind of figured yeah. it out, like yeah. how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know about the writing and the performing and all that kind of stuff. I'll get a little 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 things about touring, but stuff like, mm-hmm. that, but not about the craft, but the marketing of your stand up career. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. In what way? You see guys and girls that come in, and there are the the hilarious people who have no interest in selling themselves Mm. and then you have people that are so great at selling themselves they could rival any marketing executive in any fortune 500 company and like that spectrum Mm -hmm.
1: are there people that come to mind that on each end of the spectrum that you when when you when you think about it
0: yeah like uh you know the the people that are great at marketing themselves and like uh, that i was really impressed by and was like wow we've got a we should, i just turned a fortune and i'm like we we, yeah. we need a what are we doing? Team. Yeah. <laughs> like what are we doing uh joe coy yeah is amazing mm-hmm. at it gabriel iglesias mm-hmm. amazing uh Bert kreischer mm-hmm. with his social media stuff yeah. amazing and they put so much energy into it they mm-hmm. don't do it a lot of comedians myself included look at social media as a place you can kind of be funny yeah, occasionally mm-hmm. out of the corner of your eye
1: that's not necessarily consistent or kind of yeah
0: yeah there's no real mission to it mm-hmm. other than we're supposed to do it I yeah. think <laughs> these people are just Eliza Schlesinger yeah. th- these people are all in like they realize the potential of what we have in our pockets mm-hmm. to reach a, like a large audience yeah and sell tickets and keep yourself out there yeah. and and it's, that part is, uh, that's mm-hmm. what I've really, I've, yeah. I, I hesitate to say learned it because mm-hmm. I've, I'm more observing it and thinking I should do it more <laughs> That's often. something I should do, but I'm not going to. <laughs> you know to. what I mean? Yeah. And it's a real personality thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, I want to talk about your new special. Uh, okay. On Netflix. Yeah. And it'll come out the day that this podcast comes out. So people nice. can, can watch it now. Today. Today. Uh, and it's called You're Doing Great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess first, where did that uh, where did that title come from or why did you want to call it uh, you're doing great
0: the title came pretty much off of touring Mm -hmm. and you know after my last special you go out and you tour and you're writing and performing trying to find out where you're gonna go and I just started saying it to the audience I got this feeling that people have this overwhelming sense of anxiety right Mm -hmm. now absolutely, and they feel like they're that everything's going to hell and that in their personal life. They're not doing enough. They're not as fabulous as people they see on social media. They're not making enough money. They're always up against it. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, you know, I had an uncle that has immersed himself in uh, in uh, cable news.
1: Yeah. And I, I think every, everybody has an uncle that's immersed themselves <laughs> in cable news. <laughs> I know.
0: And I'm like, I said to him, you're wasting your life. Like it's yeah. it's going quickly. This mm-hmm. is going quickly yeah and as an adult you really only have like a certain amount that's really good mm-hmm. you know a couple decades of like really kick-ass fun time yeah and i just started realizing this is kind of an illusion this feeling this anxiety mm-hmm. it's because we're the first human beings that have to digest all of this information bad information and stuff on these devices and all and being inundated 24 hours a day it's an illusion that you're filled with anxiety yeah and that you're Life is shit. Mm-hmm. That is not true. Yeah. And I started pointing out the things as I was going along in my act that you're actually doing pretty great. If yeah. you're here tonight in this audience <laughs> with me, yeah. you're doing pretty great. Yeah. And then I would just start kind of talking about it. And I decided, well, I'm not going to try. I'm going to be less cynical with my stand-up mm-hmm. and be a little more – convey what I really feel, which is more hope than than um, than uh, malaise or, or – yeah. Um, unhappiness Yeah And uh, And that's where And people were coming up to me This is where the title is a long mm-hmm. way back To your title question uh, People started coming up to me After the show And thanking me For saying that They mm-hmm. were doing great
1: Because it made them Feel better
0: Yeah They're like thank you I don't No one ever says that I don't hear it Yeah And I, I, I kind mostly of feel like Mostly I we're
1: told That we're doing horribly
0: Yes <laughs> So the audience kind of picked the title. Mm.
1: Do you think about your your show? I think there are comedians who obviously go after political stuff very hard. Do you think? Do you think about your show as an escape for people from that when they come to see you for an hour at night in a theater?
0: Yeah, I do. But I, you know, I I do. It is an ultimately it is it is an escape. You're mm-hmm. not going to be in my shows. You're not going to be hit with all, hit with all this heavy political stuff. But it's not really. If I was really good at it. I'd probably be all in on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not where I kind of live. Like, my stuff is more about stuff that lasts over a lifetime of a human being. Mm-hmm. It's not about the politics of the moment. There are people that are great at that, Yeah, you know, that are really good, and they should lean into it. Um, uh, I didn't set out to say, I'm not going to talk about it, and this is just going to be fun time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh it just happens to work out that way, and people are relieved when they come to my show, but it's really my lack of I like reading about politics. I'm pretty you mm-hmm. know active in my own mind, yeah, but i don't uh I don't find it that funny, yeah <laughs> you, do know? you
1: do you find other political comedy funny, like the like late night shows and that stuff, or do you feel like it's making fun of something that's not funny
0: it's uh it's getting a little tiresome, mhm, you know what I mean, yeah. Like, it feels re- I see, feels
1: repetitive a lot. I think
0: very repetitive, very repetitive. And I know that there's like a big thing going on, and it's it's ripe for it. But I can't help at this moment to watch Alec Baldwin come out dressed as Trump and think you're really helping him yeah. more than doing what you think you're doing. Yeah, you're helping him. And you're making this palatable. You're making this mm-hmm. funny. A funny joke. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are shows, you know, like I love watching Bill Maher's show. Mm-hmm. I like watching Colbert's. Prob- Colbert, I think, has his monologue, As while well, I don't watch it all the time, he seems to have a little more, like John Oliver, they have a little more mm-hmm. insight but, like, Bill Maher, I love his show, but I skip the monologue. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, just, I do know
1: what you mean. It, yeah, the, the conversations are maybe more enlightening than the than the silly jokes great. about,
0: yeah. And his insight is so good. Like, he's always mm-hmm. bringing up ideas and things that are, you know, it's great. Mm-hmm. But the monologue, the jokes, mm-hmm. the dressing up like Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not helping. Uh, it's not helping and it's, I don't know, I don't find it that funny. Yeah. It's just not that, you know, we've done it. Haven't we yeah. done it? Yeah. We've really, we've done it. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's time, time to move on. Yeah. Hopefully we can move on uh, But soon. again, <laughs>
0: that's their that's their job. Yeah. Like those guys are good mm-hmm. at that thing and you know, I it's like, it's like they, t- them telling me stop talking about your life yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, but that's no. what I do
1: <laughs> I love the, uh, the section of the, the special that kind of gets into the, the me too stuff and saying mm-hmm. uh, I think the quote that I, I wrote down was who knew that men were so awful
0: who knew who knew the men were so awful who knew <laughs> I think the women knew I think the women knew <laughs> yeah I think you knew We had no idea. I feel bad. We should have been looking out for you. We had no idea. Regular guys did not know that these guys were out there. And we know a lot of secrets. We didn't know these guys were so bad. Think of the psychotic narcissism of these men, that your hello when you meet a woman for the first time is to reach into your pants, take out your worst part, and present it to her like it's an award she'd be happy to receive. That's a psychopath. I've been married 19 years. When I take my pants off, Lights are out. It's interesting way
1: into that because it's kind of talking about being a, a father and, yeah. and using it as a a, a lesson to your daughters mm-hmm. that you know this is a this has been a way for you to to sh- for the world to show them what what some men are are like. Yeah. Um. So can you just talk a little bit about putting that um, bit together? And yeah. And
0: well, you know, you always I always have this f- parenting philosophy that you can only do. First of all, they show up we all show up on the planet with the personality that we're going to carry most of our days. Mm-hmm. And both of my, both of my daughters were left the maternity ward the exact person that they are now mm-hmm. 17 years later. They just are. So as a parent, you know, you impart lessons and give them love and be there for them and stuff, but even that is limited because there's also the world that's going to teach them mm-hmm. about life. Yeah. You know, I like when my we would get into these moments where my wife would be screaming at my daughter like to, to not wear something and I'm like life is gonna take care of this like if she walks to school in you know rain boots and a halter top and a, <laughs> and an Indian headdress the, the other kids are gonna yeah have comments and she, <laughs> She'll work itself it's out it's gonna work itself we don't have to yell mm-hmm. of that you look ridiculous <laughs> the world's gonna tell you that mm-hmm. and I felt I feel like that with the with raising daughters and trying to educate them on what men are. I can only do so much. Like, I'm trying to be the best man I can be in the house with them in regards to their mother. And, you know, so I'm walking around being funny, being present, trying to be a nice guy. Mm -hmm. While knowing that there's a bunch of creepo dudes out there Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they're going to run into and work for and interview with and be pick, picked up to go to the movies with that are go that are you know creepos. Yeah. And I like ha, so I would just keep telling them repeatedly like as they're growing up that boys are stupid, boys are gross, boys are whatever. <laughs> I just kept it was like my silly mantra. Mm-hmm. But then when this me too thing hit, it was like when they were becoming teenagers and becoming a little more aware, it was a big lesson. It yeah. was it was a, an opportunity to let them see the world without me having to point mm-hmm. it out.
1: Coming up, Tom tells the story of how meeting Jerry Seinfeld changed his life, mostly for the better. If you like this podcast, you are also going to love Netflix's serious XM show, What a Joke with Papa and Fortune. First of all, it's hosted by my guest on today's podcast, Tom Papa, along with my guest from a couple of weeks ago, Fortune Feimster. And it features great interviews with comics like Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Romano, and previous Last Laugh guests, including Jim Gaffigan, Jeff Garland, Andrea Savage, and so many others. What a Joke with Papa and Fortune airs live, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific, Monday through Thursday on Sirius XM Channel 93, Netflix is a Joke Radio. When was the first time that you actually tried stand-up?
0: Uh, the very first time was as a real in a comedy club uh, was June 12th 1993 oh, wow you know the date yeah yeah
1: so what do you remember about that that night
0: it was uh, you know I graduated from school and I acted in college and but always wanted to be a comedian mm-hmm. and then uh, I realized well I someone has to hire you to act and I picked up the village voice I was living outside of New York mm-hmm. and uh, it said you know in this ad for uh, the New York Comedy Club, you can just call this number and <laughs> book a thing if you bring some friends to sit yeah. in the audience. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I remember like going in the bedroom of my apartment and calling the number and booking a date, yeah. June 12th, and coming out and like, oh, I, was oh, like yeah. I was like <laughs> yeah. shaking. I was like, I'm going on stage. <laughs> It was crazy. Did you
1: have any material yet at that point?
0: Um, I don't know when I made the call. I probably, yeah, probably. I probably called and hung up once, and then <laughs> wrote some stuff. Oh, oh maybe then... I should write something first. <laughs> yeah, but it was like a month out, maybe a three mm. weeks out, and I wrote up some jokes. I had, I had some material. I had no idea if I had enough. I'd mm-hmm. never been in a comedy club. Oh wow! Like as a, as a, an audience member, mm-hmm. I loved comedy. I saw it on TV all the time, but yeah. I never walked into one. And it was like early, it was summer, so June. Mm-hmm. And it was, so it was pretty light out when, yeah. at the time this show was going on. So I remember not, walking in daytime. Which not always daytime. great for comedy. <laughs> I know, it was really weird. And I had my friends inside. And uh, my friend Gary, who um, I always based on his last name, he works at Kimmel. He was the host mm-hmm. and it was me. And Greg Giraldo, oh wow. was the other comedian waiting to go on, and He's he was just in young... a
1: bringer show too. Yep. Yeah,
0: and he had no friends what there. What coincidence? Yeah, yeah. he had no friends <laughs> there, and he had just started a couple months before yeah. I did, and he was just you know clean shaven, baby yeah. faced, mm. sweating, super nervous. Yeah, and I just started talking to him, and we bonded really quickly. Yeah, and we both made each other laugh. Yeah.
1: Who was funnier that night?
0: Um. He was funnier. But I had (laughs) had, had one good joke and then then a couple things I couldn't get through.
1: Yeah, what was the one good joke?
0: (laughs) One good joke. It's all relative. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. is 93.
1: First joke, yeah.
0: First joke. Uh, It was um, uh, they were handing out condoms in schools for the first time. Mm -hmm. That that was happening. And uh, I said, they're handing out condoms. Uh, they're just handing out condoms for free in, in grade school. When I was in third grade, I needed three notes and a blood test just to get a ride on the bookmobile. <laughs> it still holds up. Yeah. It's got a little structure. Yeah. It had a little thing. It's a joke. And it's about <laughs> 10 seconds. Yeah. And then I had four more minutes to fill. Uh, and I was yeah. just flailing and sweating. Yeah. And, and Greg already looked like a comedian. Mm-hmm. Like he had. He had this funny joke about Fantasy Island about, and he would imitate Tattoo, Mm -hmm. the little guy, and uh, yeah, he was funny. And then, yeah, and then we just became pals. Uh,
1: I know you had a fateful meeting with Jerry Seinfeld um, Mm -hmm. at certain at the same club at that same club. Yeah Yeah. what what was what did he mean to you when before you met him?
0: Uh, Before I met him, he was more than the TV star. He was just a great comedian who Mm -hmm. you know, he was just killing it as a he was a star from just doing stand up like before his show, and I think that the advantage the why why I was able to talk to him and become friends with him while he was coming back to the stand up in the clubs in New York, where he didn't know anybody anymore other than Colin Quinn, really
1: because
0: mm-hmm. uh, all his his class was gone, yeah uh was because I was hustling so hard like at the end of his show, like the last three four years of his show, I mm-hmm. was. Running, trying to get, I wasn't watching TV. Yeah. So I wasn't watching the show. So I wasn't so in awe of like everyone else was. He was yeah. the biggest star in the country right. at that time. Yeah. But I, and you're I, like,
1: I don't have time to watch Seinfeld. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I remember like asking asking my girlfriend, like, should I, like, should I be telling him that I like episodes or yeah. like you know what I mean but I think it was just I think he was relieved like he didn't know but maybe I was maybe he
1: liked that you uh, you weren't in awe of him in, in yeah. some way
0: like he I'm sure he knew I was comedically yeah, yeah. but I wasn't like Hey, how was Kramer? Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean. He, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't have stuck around if I was yeah. trying to ask that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> so he asked you to, to open for him mm-hmm. after that, right? And, and so, yeah. what, what was that experience like?
0: Well, so then he started touring, and he you know got his got in shape. And
1: is this after the the show ended, or is yeah. this yeah? This, this was, was a couple of years after because he did ended. that big special right after right the the show ended right, in and then ninety eight or ninety nine maybe
0: right. And then I... Yeah, so I met him like 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And and then he eventually got into shape and we, we did a couple clubs locally in New York together where I opened for him. And then he decided he's going to go out and tour these theaters. Mm-hmm. And he brought me along. And that I was just like... Uh, like a sponge. Yeah. I knew what uh, this was. Like, this was a real opportunity to learn from someone who works very similarly to the way I do, who kind of lives his life in a similar way. Mm-hmm. You know, before that, like, I couldn't mimic a tell and how he lived. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was yeah. drinking it out really late. Yeah. And
1: you saw some of yourself maybe in,
0: in yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. And it was reassuring that, oh, I can be a comedian. Of some note, if I work hard this way, mm-hmm. you know the, what I mean. What were the
1: big things that you learned from from watching him work?
0: The biggest thing was that it was a, that it's a craft. That mm. this is a real this is a craft, and it's not only not only is it a craft that you can work at practically, go to work at it, improve improve your writing, improve your performing, constantly do it. Uh, but it's also it was a craft that you should be really you really should feel pretty great that you're able to be a part of it Mm -hmm. this is a special like that's the thing with him I call him the comedy chiropractor (laughs) whenever I would have like you know moments of angst and stuff about my career or just what's going on or just feeling weird as we all do Mm -hmm. from time to time and you just call him and he will just without saying I've got something on my mind he just starts talking about comedy yeah and you come out of every time you walk away you feel like you've been adjusted Mm -hmm. and it's like oh what a what a great choice I made to be a comedian. <laughs> this is what a great. This is the greatest job. This is the greatest calling. This is how lucky am I that I am a, a comedian? That's mm-hmm. how he makes you feel. Yeah, and that that's huge. That's, that was a big thing. To, yeah, to give you pride in what you do. Sometime
1: around then, the, the documentary Comedian came out, which mm-hmm. I know you, you appear in, and he's you know prominently featured in, which I think has become this kind of one of the foundational texts for younger uh, yeah. comedians learning what this is, and they were, people were just watching it kind of in awe of, of yeah. the, showing the process maybe in a way that hadn't been shown before. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about that uh, time when, when that I, documentary was being filmed?
0: I remember being a little upset that they... I, he was putting it together. I was I knew him. I was mm-hmm. opening for him. I was around. Yeah. And uh I was Jerry's favorite in my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm Jerry's favorite. <laughs> and they were thinking about following a young comedian around. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Well I, I'm a young comedian. I guess comedian. I'm gonna be in a movie. <laughs> yeah. And then they didn't ask me mm-hmm. and they asked Orny Adams mm-hmm. and they started following him around. I remember like, huh, that's kind of well. Maybe I'm not his favorite. Yeah, and then you saw the end result of like, he was almost like the antithesis of what Jerry was, and it made mm-hmm. for good tension. And it made it yeah. didn't make. I like Orny. As mm-hmm. I do. I really. I like him. I run into him a lot. And, yeah, but it didn't really make him look that great at the time. Mm-hmm. Like if you didn't know Orny, like he is a ball. He has complicated head. He is always kind of getting in his own way certain times, but. He, you always care for him because you just know that's Orny. You know, mm-hmm. it's he's he's working through stuff and figuring life out, and and you, but the people watching it who didn't know him didn't take it that way. Mm-hmm. And then I was relieved I <laughs> wasn't the one <laughs> yeah. being followed around because who knows what you, they yeah. would have made me look like. Yeah, you know?
1: or if the maybe the movie would have been very different. I don't know. It would have wouldn't have been as uh as tense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just you know, you couldn't have. It's not a really interesting documentary to have Jerry running around in me just hanging on to his coattails <laughs> for, for two hours. Yes, Jerry. Yeah. Whatever you say, Jerry, that's, that's not good tension. That's not drama. Yeah. Uh,
1: so you, you did get a chance to work more closely with him um, on the marriage ref, mm-hmm. which I believe we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of the, uh, of the premiere. Oh really? Right? How I do you know that? that? It was a, well, it was, it was 20. 20, 2010, I think was the, yeah, you're was right. the show. Yeah. 10 um, years ago. Does it feel like 10 years ago? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I really I loved that show when it came out, and I think um, it was it was a big break for you at the time, right? I mean, uh-huh. to have that to host that show on on NBC, and, yeah, in prime time and all that. Um, what do you what do you kind of uh, think about when you remember that experience now?
0: I I think about it pretty fondly. I don't I don't really it, you know it wasn't a big success, yeah, uh, and you know, but I tend not to look at all my failures as devastating Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and not, and ultimately i guess it is a failure because it should have been on for 10 years and it was on for really like two yeah and but it was a great experience like there were a lot of things kind of wrong with the show like to get it to Mm -hmm. flow and stuff and i was i hadn't you know i had no control i was just they, they weren't even putting me in the promos. They were like, yeah, it was
1: because they were huge. I mean, there were big stars on the show. Huge, huge. It was kind of insane the people that, that you guys got to to be on that show.
0: That that, that kind of is. It's part of what hurt it. Yeah, because the because you couldn't keep it up. Or? Yeah, the first year was Jerry's Rolodex. Right. So you had Larry David and, mm-hmm. and Ricky Gervais and Madonna and all yeah. these crazy high level yeah. people. I was,
1: I was re watching some clips just. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and there's the, the, the moment between. There's a few moments between Larry David and Madonna that really uh, kind of got, got a little crazy <laughs> was... and got a lot of attention.
0: Are you serious? I am so serious. Look how the husband's reacting to that. How could you say that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> You hate men. Do not scream at me. You (laughs) hate men. No, you're a man hater. I hate you.
1: (laughs) Would you think there was actual tension there? Oh
0: yeah, yeah. There there was one of the greatest um, moments of the whole series for me. Was I'm on stage and those three are behind.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mm-hmm. On one show. Yeah. And Madonna's fighting with Larry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, you don't know. Yeah. Oh, you get out of my, you know, and I have to go to commercial. I have to do something to the camera. I'm mm-hmm. standing up in front, like, going to a break or doing something and uh as we were taping and i'm trying to do it and they're just yelling behind me and i i I said i never thought i'd say this in my life but not now madonna (laughs) 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 and it was and it was cool like it was but it was a complicated thing too because it was so it was so jerry's thing Mm -hmm. but he wasn't
1: in i mean i think people probably expected him to be in it
0: yeah and nbc like you know we thought the show was going to be this little quiet Sunday night show. Mm-hmm. Like, go on at 7, 8 o'clock, yeah. Sundays, families, kind of couples, show, yeah. watch this kind of thing, let them find it, we'll figure out what we're doing, we have mm-hmm. no idea what we're doing. Yeah. We are trying. We have Marv Albert in it, <laughs> doing like sports <laughs> stuff, and we're trying to talk to real couples, and and all of this premise of solving these people's marital s- arguments, and mm-hmm. it's just fun, and it's, yeah. but we don't know what we're doing. We don't know. Yeah. So he needs time. And now it is Seinfeld's return to Thursday nights.
1: Uh, that's pressure
0: during the Olympics yeah they ran ads every five minutes mm-hmm. after every luge after every yeah. <laughs> ice skater. I mean, people The tu- marriage yeah. tu- Jerry's back
1: tuned in thinking they were gonna see Jerry and they saw you and they saw me
0: <laughs> and they saw and that, that was the other thing in the promos they wouldn't even show me yeah they would showed my hands there was this one <laughs> shot of like Jerry and the thing and then they would sh- and then they'd show like this quasi-host with no head with just his <laughs> hands and I was like well that's weird All right, yeah it was weird
1: were you kind of relieved when it was over
0: no i would have you know i would have liked it to continue on Mm -hmm. but you know it wasn't well received in the first thing in the first year because like critics
1: yeah it got good ratings i think but the critics weren't weren't crazy right and jet didn't know what to make of it maybe
0: and that's that affected jerry and jerry stepped away the second season Mm. so it was kind of dead at that point yeah 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 um and Then they like put us on in the summer. It just got weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just weren't... With Jerry not being behind it, they weren't behind it.
1: Yeah. You've had uh, 10 more years of marriage under your belt since you did it. So are there things that you feel like you you know about about marriage that you didn't know when you were doing the show?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe different levels or something. I think the... The thing that I knew, I kind of knew it even going into the show. I am really, you know, my comedy is about family. Mm -hmm. I am very focused on that. I enjoy it. And I just knew going into that show and and going into my marriage, and it still holds as, like, probably the most important thing is not take all this that seriously. Like Mm -hmm. Even when my wife and I were having this little disagreement yesterday about something silly. And it was something with a dish towel. Mm-hmm. that I had wiped I had wiped my chin with the dish towel and she didn't like it and yeah. she and we got into this little thing and I always you know you have a little back and forth of no that's fine no it's yeah. not no it and then you, I always remember make a joke mm-hmm I would I would prefer if while I'm in the kitchen you sit in that chair and just face <laughs> that wall. That would be easier for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. make a joke about it because this is not worth mm-hmm. going to the mat for. This, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that philosophy carried through the show carries through my my mm-hmm. relationship with her, and it makes for a much more pleasant relationship yeah. for sure. That this stuff is not going to be taken that seriously. Mm-hmm.
1: Up next. Tom tells a truly crazy story about how NBC may have used his sitcom as a way to try out Steve Carell for The Office. Do you remember what your late-night stand-up debut was?
0: Yes, it was uh, it was on Letterman. Yeah, yeah, with Tom Cruise.
1: Oh, he was the first guest. He
0: was the first guest.
1: Did you get to meet him?
0: I did. But in a weird situation, because it's my first Letterman, mm-hmm. my first real late night thing. Yeah, And actually, it wasn't, mm, no, it must have been.
1: That's what I've, I, I yeah. looked it up, and that's what I found. Okay. I don't know if you, if you, sometimes IMDB is not right. No, so I, I think I, you're I like right. There ask. was a,
0: there was a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're asking the wrong guy. There was, there was a Conan also that was a, a bigger deal, but that came after. Yeah, Letterman. Mm-hmm. So Letterman. Letterman's a pretty big deal. It was huge. And you, that's all I wanted. Yeah. And I got it. And I'm all all day thinking, this isn't a big deal. This isn't a big mm-hmm. deal. just It's not a big deal. This is cool. It's just another set. I've already done the work. All I have to do is stand there and tell the jokes I've told a million times, mm-hmm. and it's going to be great. No pressure. This is not a big deal. And Tom Cruise is on the monitor, his first time on the show in 15 years, mm-hmm. running up and down the aisles, <laughs> hugging people, going off with David during commercial break. Yeah. It's it's I'm like oh no this is gonna be <laughs> I have tough to, follow to follow Tom Cruise and then they bring you downstairs and you're waiting at the side door to go onto the set and the door swings open they bring me down and I'm in my little suit and they br- open the door and a sweaty Tom Cruise <laughs> is facing me yeah and he's like woo <laughs> are you going up next I'm like yep. Yeah. and he goes it's great out there and he hugs me. And I've got Tom Cruise sweat on oh. me, and this energy, yeah. this vibrant, you know, mm-hmm. electric Tom Cruise energy. And I'm like, oh, this is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be. I it totally freaked me out. And but maybe uh, he
1: warmed up the crowd for you in a good way.
0: He totally. You can't. Yeah. yeah. As long as you can keep your act together, you follow anybody mm-hmm. really big, even in the clubs, like mm-hmm. following Chris Rock or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're young, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's actually great because. Yeah. If, as long as you just keep it together, yeah, they're they all they, they want to laugh. Yeah, it's like stirring up champagne. Mm. Everyone's all bubbly <laughs> when you get out there, you know. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty good one.
1: You said the Conan one was a bigger deal.
0: Conan was a bigger deal because that led to NBC saw me on that mm. and brought me to LA for the, my first sitcom.
1: Yeah, so that was your that sitcom that you developed with yeah. NBC. That was Come to Papa, right? Yeah um and so what 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 was that uh what was that like
0: that was uh which part the... uh <laughs> doing the um
1: <laughs> doing the sitcom i know I, I i did see that uh steve carell was was in it which i didn't yeah didn't realize before
0: this is a little this is a yeah and yeah here's something weird yeah i hear something weird yeah i do it's just for you okay uh I get a little sitcom called Come to Papa and it does really well in the pilot phase mm-hmm. and everybody loves it and it's like we navigate our way through and after a year or so we think we're going to get it on the air mm-hmm. and it doesn't get picked up right away but they they're going to put it on mid-season mm-hmm. and which I'm I'm just like you know I didn't even think I was going to get this this is cool and the um the president of NBC at the time Jeff Zucker mm-hmm. is uh let go or leaves mm-hmm. he's let go i think yeah he fostered us and brought us along and built the show yeah he's the cnn president now yeah again another <laughs> him and lauren michaels did more for donald trump than <laughs> anybody in america yeah and uh he leaves and Kevin Riley takes over; is the new president of the whole thing, and he's not into our show. Yeah, and it's never
1: know, where you want to be, where the the transition of power and the, yeah, you know,
0: and your the, your guy leaves. I know. This is all like, yeah, I'm learning this in the moment at mm-hmm. the time, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really like it. I am a writer. The show's me is hanging with my friends. Mm-hmm. I've got John Sally's the mailman. He's this laker <laughs> seven foot tall guy. it's just mm-hmm. goofy and fun yeah. and hanging with your friends mm-hmm. and he says no it should be a workplace oh, okay. tom needs to and i'm gonna work in a newspaper all of a sudden and yeah I, I, and you know this is another lesson that you learn without making anything you t- you there's this funny thing when you're trying to make something and people are allowing you to make it so there's this dance of i want to make them happy so they still let me make it right but if i like if I say yes to all the things that they're asking for, I'm no longer making the thing I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be a lesser version of that and it's going to lose all of its power and it won't be worth anything and it'll end up dead anyway. That's the ultimate lesson mm-hmm. I learned. So they put they um, they put, uh, they put Steve Carell in as my boss because mm-hmm. they have a deal with him. And yeah. they call and they say, will you put Steve Carell in? And I mean, this is
1: probably two, one, two years before the, he did the Office, something like that.
0: It was a tryout for the yeah. Office. Yeah. It was literally he. They were trying. They were putting as he was filming, starting to film our thing. They were already making a deal with him to do the Office. Wow. And we had no idea.
1: And it was all kind of with that in mind that they were doing it.
0: Yep. Yep. And uh, it just that's, happened at the same time, and they're like, "We've got wild. this. We've got this property." This office thing, or mm. we have this come to Papa thing. Yeah. And they had to
1: choose between. They had to the choose
0: between, and we got screwed. And it was just, they mm. were, and they had to kill us to free him mm. to put him in that. Wow. So it was like, I loved Steve. At the time, he'd just done a couple things, but he, he was hilarious. Yeah. And me and the showrunner were just like, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's only going to make it funnier, right? We're here to make funny, mm-hmm. add funny. Um, You don't
1: don't blame him.
0: I can't blame him. No, you know, and went on. Here's another little inside thing. The guy that I I had a best friend in the show Mm -hmm. before the Corell part of it. The first time when we made the first pilot, and I desperately wanted uh, it was a character named Judah, and he was really funny, odd dude, Mm -hmm. and I wanted uh, you know someone really great to be in it. And I knew through Rob Zombie, who did House of a Thousand Corpses, Rain Wilson. Ah, and I brought Rain Wilson into audition, and it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. And then we begged in, at the network level, yeah, and so, which is a high pressure situation. You have to come in with mm-hmm. these executives, and you're in the middle and yeah. auditioning, and it didn't go well. Person and we're like,
1: prove that the person is right. For, and, yeah.
0: yeah, and we're like, he's so damn funny. You've got to. I mean, he's just please. We begged and fought to have him come back a second time. And they let him come back a second time, and they still said, no, he's not right. Hmm. So and then... fast forward, <laughs> Steve Carell and Rain Wilson are doing The Office. And they are like, pla- hey, wait a minute. And I'm playing Bananas yeah. in Hasbro Heights <laughs> <laughs> in front of 20 people. Yeah. Such a crazy story, wild. right?
1: Yeah, so they they kind of used your show to, to get talent for The Office.
0: Yeah, like, you know, look, at that time, you know, Steve had a deal with NBC. Rain was... Going, something was going to happen with rain. Mm. It's not like I'm, you know, I was a prophet, a showbiz prophet. And real, you know, they were going. Something was going to happen with these guys. I just happened to be there too at the same time, and just happened to be that my thing became this <laughs> <laughs> minor league ball club.
1: So in in a small way, it's like you were in the office.
0: Mm-hmm. You would have thought they may have, they would yeah. be putting Getting me in one episode. one episode. No, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. No. No. Well,
1: I feel like they might reboot it, so you could you could try again. <laughs> For that. Um, Yeah. So your first uh, movie role also came around that time, I believe, in Analyze That. Mm Mm-hmm. So what was was that experience like with uh, De Niro and and Billy Crystal?
0: That was a cool one where I'd never been in a movie before. Yeah. And I went to audition and they called me back and said, yeah, we'd love to, you have a callback. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's amazing. I'm going to have a callback for this, Analyze That movie, and i'm living in new york it's all new york guys i'm like yeah maybe i have a maybe i have a shot at this and harold Ramis is directing it and he's going to be there in the audition and this is great i i can't wait i'm preparing my thing you know so nervous and get to the callback in this big office building in manhattan and walk in and they say okay great you're going to read with um so you're going to go in there harold's in there and um uh, we're going to go and we're going to put it on tape and you're going to read with Bobby. And and, <laughs> da, 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 and I'm like, okay, just walk in thinking Bobby's yeah, like you know the, an assistant.
1: Yeah, the casting assistant, Bobby. <laughs>
0: Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> and no, it's Bobby De Niro. Wow. It's Robert De Niro.
1: I wouldn't think that he would read with people in auditions. This
0: was not a big role. Yeah. This was not. He's really dedicated. This was three pages tops. Yeah. And he's there with Harold. And yeah, mm-hmm. Dedicated. And he's going to read the scene with me. And I'm like, oh man, okay. (laughs) Okay. We can do this. We can do this. I'm staying cool. I'm not too thrown, you Mm -hmm. know? I'm all right. Is he really acting when he's
1: doing that or is he doing the kind of like just reading the lines thing?
0: He's holding the script. Mm -hmm. He's losing his place. Mm -hmm. He's going through pages. Uh, He's not responding to me. Yeah. He's making words up. He's making things up. He's but not making it easy for you. He, he. I went from, I'm with Robert De Niro, to screw Robert De Niro. Yeah. De Niro's screwing up my audition. <laughs> screw you, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get someone to replace Bobby? <laughs> Bobby is a mess. <laughs> yeah.
1: Do you have anyone else for this part?
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I but, left there so angry at one of my acting idols, mm-hmm. but then I got the role. But then you got it. I got the role, and I got to spend a whole day with him in a jewelry store, mm-hmm. being this actress. Was it
1: was it different when you were actually on set acting with him?
0: E- yeah, it was funny because he was. It was an interaction where he, he's behind a, a jewelry case, and I'm buying it. My wife and a, my fiance and I are buying an engagement ring, mm-hmm. and he's trying to go straight. He's a mobster. He's trying to have a good job, and he, he's around diamonds, and he's freaking out. Yeah, that's the scene. This stone's supposed to be a G color. It looks a little yellow, doesn't it? It's a that's the fluorescent light that's makes everything look yellow.
2: No, I thought fluorescent light makes everything look blue.
1: What am I, Edison? That's a fuck uh it's a fluorescent light that's
2: doing that. That's a G. Well maybe maybe. Take a look, look from that angle.
0: What do you think? So we would start, you know, and then cut, you know. And every time we cut, a makeup person and a hair person would come in, do his nails, do his hair, do his eyebrows, do his thing, do the makeup. And I'm just standing there, yeah. two fi- two inches from him. Yeah. So I just kept going, you know, it just felt weird. <laughs> and I'm like, how's my hair? As they yeah. would walk away. You know, I don't have much hair even yeah. then. And uh, cut, come in the two his thing. Anyone want to look at my hair? And by the third time, <laughs> De Niro gave like, what, like a real De Niro kind of take, like... This guy really likes his hair. Yeah. Guy, like in <laughs> a De Niro, you know. Yeah. Can't really do his impression, but great. this guy with his hair. Someone look at this guy's hair. <laughs> but yeah. it was great. It was a cool thing. So and- that,
1: that was the first of many movies for you because you've uh, you've done a lot of work with Steven Soderbergh
0: mm-hmm. over the years. Um, yeah.
1: What's the story there? Because he's put you in, what, three three projects Yeah.
0: Now? Yeah, three projects.
1: How did you did you meet him at a certain point, or how did he how did you kind of get on his radar? Do you think
0: it was an it was an audition? They were when he was doing the informant. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a brilliant uh, insight into how he thinks. He the informant is this film about this guy who doesn't see reality the way everybody else does at its heart, mm-hmm. and he, uh, but it's written in a pretty serious way. Like you know, it could be like. Um, You know, like one of those, the insider, like, you know, it's like Mm a, it could be taken very seriously. It was written seriously. But there's something off kilter about this guy. And Stephen realized or thought, if I cast comedians in a lot of these roles, comedians all carry their own frenetic, off kilter energy, Mm -hmm. just as beings. And that's going to make the film seem off kilter, which is going to make this lead, Matt Damon's thing, seem match with his world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Pretty cool, yeah. Insight.
1: I remember there being a lot of comedians in the movie. There
0: were, and it was one of the only times that I auditioned well enough to get it. Yeah. To get yeah, I just went in like cold. They mm-hmm. asked me to see me, and I I think it helped that I looked kind of like the guy, the real guy I was mm-hmm. going to play. And I got a really nice role, like yeah. a big role, like all through the script mm-hmm. with Matt Damon and Soderbergh. Yeah. I was like, really, just thought, well, I'm going to get fired from this for <laughs> sure. <laughs> this can't possibly be.
1: Well, he must have liked you because he put you in uh, Behind the Candelabra yeah. and, and The Nick, right? And The Nick, yeah. And Nick it's is an great. incredible show that I feel like doesn't get enough, uh, I know. enough I know.
0: praise. It was weird that, you know, like if it had been on... If it had been on HBO straight up, it probably yeah, would have. Probably. But it would. It was on Cinemax. Yeah. And Steven used to take pictures of the, of what was on right before us or right after <laughs> us. And it was always like soft porn. Yeah. It was always like some Not guy, like as a naked cop.
1: Yeah. And the show's like really dark, <laughs> really kind of serious. It's an HBO
0: yeah. show. It yeah. kind of fits that thing. Yeah. But I, I remember
1: don't... hearing that they, they were going to do it on HBO, but then they said they can only do it in like a year or something. Then he said, but if, If we'll do it in Cinemax, we'll let you start right now. And he said, okay. Because he likes to move fast, I think.
0: Yeah. One of the most incredible people I've ever met. Hands down. He's always working on like 15 things at once in a real thoughtful, artistic way. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, loves the work, digests other people's work. I mean, he's amazing.
1: What was he like as a director uh, for you?
0: The coolest like, he, he moves really quickly. The very first scene I ever did was I'm standing in the driveway with Matt and uh, and Rick Overton, mm-hmm. and we're having this discussion. Something went down, and we're having this discussion, and a car pulls up and of the driveway, and someone gets out to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so they say, okay, let's run it, and we're, we run it. There's no cameras around, and the car comes up and we do the scene matt must have gotten out of the car so anyway the car pulls up we do the scene in the headlights of the car and they say okay that was good and i'm like all right so when do we should i go to my trailer when are we actually gonna do it they're like no that's good we're moving on that was it i was like what i'm like you know you don't want to sound yeah. dumb you yeah. know it's your my first <laughs> time in a real movie like that and i'm like finally got somebody on the side i'm like Where's the director yeah. <laughs> and the camera? And he goes, Oh, he's in the back. Steven is in the back seat of the car with the camera. Oh, my God. He shot the whole thing through that from the so back. Cool. And I was like, Oh, man. I wish I had known that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have really tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like that. Like, yeah. He knows he's, exact- shooting,
1: he's shooting on iPhone now, too. I know. And some of the new ones. Yeah. I know.
0: He knows what he wants and he uh, just goes, he's very, you know, he knows what he yeah. wants and he doesn't, really push you in any real direction. Like if you're doing it right, it's good and you just keep going. It's pretty, but a real inspiring guy. Like he's one of the, one of the few people like, I'll just have drinks with him and walk home like, what am I doing? (laughs) I have to read (laughs) more, write more, be more, get my act together. Like this guy's just getting it done. It's just so impressive.
1: Uh, So the last one, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't um, at least bring up your uh, your baking bread. Um, oh yeah, you know you session. like bread. I like bread. I heard that you bring <laughs> uh, Joe Rogan bread and yeah. uh, there was no bread today, but but that's okay.
0: Um, I have to say, I literally <laughs> made some last night, and I was literally thinking. I, I swear on my life, yeah, I'm not making any of this up. I had two loaves of bread, and my it hadn't. I've been on the road for a week, so my kids have sliced through one mm-hmm. completely this morning, and I was like. I wonder if I sh- should I bring bread to the podcast? And I'm like everyone's gonna think I'm weird. Do I have to show up with bread all the time? Am I like it does set a precedent? right? <laughs> I know, so I apologize. I'll get that's you. That's okay. That's okay. I'll get um, you.
1: Bread. But yeah, you and you hosted a, a show on Food Network, baked mm-hmm. all about bread. So mm-hmm. what You're just you just love bread, and you just got really into it.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was writing on a show called Red Oaks mm-hmm. with um, Greg Jacobs, who's uh, and Joe Geng- Gengemi who. Um, they come from the Soderberg camp, mm-hmm. and we were writing on that show. And one of the other writers, Max, uh, was talking one day about making sourdough bread mm-hmm. and with live starter and yeah. the whole thing, the whole science fiction of it. Mm-hmm. And I told my family about it, and my daughter got a starter going for me for Christmas. That oh. was her gift, and and I just started doing it, and there was something. Very meditative and contagious about it, Mm -hmm. and then you get this great product at the end. I always say if you if you're gonna get a hobby, which I never had before, (laughs) like getting one that you can eat, yeah, (laughs) is a good one. Is pretty great, yeah. And I just got obsessed with it, and I have not stopped. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was on the road, I would doing shows. I would just stop by bakeries and hang around and see what flour they were using, and Mm -hmm. and I just started like you know like any deep dive in anything. I just Instagram and books and. Just got really, really into it and got really good at it. And then the Food Network heard about it, like when I was on Rogan and stuff, Mm -hmm. and asked if I would do this show doing the same thing, just visiting bakers in these different cities. Sounds fun. Yeah, it was really fun. (laughs) And you know what's really funny is that I wasn't looking to do a show about it, Yeah. and I didn't want to spend any of my show business currency worrying about a show, that Mm -hmm. about something I love. Yeah. I'm going to do it regardless. You kind of
1: wanted it to be a separate hobby or...
0: Yeah. Or I just didn't want to, you know, we have anxiety about things we want in business. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that to be muddied. But but after doing the one season of it, I'm like, I want to keep going. Yeah. I really liked the people. Mm -hmm. I didn't... That was a... I didn't expect that. Yeah. Are you going to do more? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it.
1: Maybe you can do a new new idea, new direction.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, you know what... This is uh, like we were talking about earlier about people who market, take right. their own careers in mm-hmm. their own hands. Uh, young people do not think about waiting for a network to tell you whether or not you can make something.
1: Mm-hmm. They just they do it.
0: They just do it. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I'm yeah. Doing it on YouTube. Oh, cool. And I'm just shooting because everyone keeps asking how do you make the how do you mm-hmm. do it? Please show me the recipe. Show me yeah. what to do. So I'm just starting to I'm I'm like, yeah, why would I? Why not? So, I'm just got just a couple Just get
1: Soderbergh to shoot it on his iPhone <laughs> and you'll be set. <laughs> that would be really cool.
0: <laughs> I know. That would be great. Uh so yeah, so I just um I I do it like when I'm home, I do it. You know, I've been I just finished my second book mm-hmm. and when I'm home writing the books, uh baking fits into it because there's it's a 3-day process yeah. and there's waiting and all these different times when you mix the dough and shape the dough and mm-hmm. cook the dough, and, and it fits, so when I have to say, as much as I love touring and doing all this stuff, some of my favorite times now, when I'm home long enough to write and bake, I know that I'm in a good place. I'm, I'm happiest there right now, Yeah, which is really weird.
1: So we'll end with this. Uh, I ask all of my guests, who is a person who you've worked with that makes you laugh harder than anybody else?
0: Ooh. I'm surrounded by so many funny people. Yeah,
1: you are. It's tough.
0: It is tough.
1: It can be any time over the course of your career, any anyone that, that comes to mind that like one on really one or, or in their work? Uh it it could be either, but I, I think uh one on one, you know, when maybe off off stage, off mm-hmm. camera. Uh,
0: Seinfeld is definitely up there. Uh, Kyle Mm Dunnigan Do you know Kyle? Mm -hmm. He really makes me laugh We were roommates for a while Oh yeah And he's just one of those people He's just silly Mm -hmm. Uh, Daniel Tosh Mm -hmm. He really makes me laugh Yeah But it's so hard I mean because then Just like watching stand up Like watching Maria Bamford Mm -hmm. Or watching Brian Regan Or Gaffigan You know Ali Wong, there's so many people that are, you, you Yeah. Know, we live in a world of funny, <laughs> but yeah, but like one-on-one, like getting on the phone and you're just going to laugh. You know who was a, was a big one was um, uh, Bob Einstein. Yeah. He would, once I became friendly with him and he would just call and just go off.
1: That's a nice call to get.
0: So great. Because <laughs> as a kid, I loved, when I was digesting funny stuff, Super Dave was one of the- yeah. Ones that just really blew me away. Mm-hmm. It's like, so, what ooh, would
1: he what would he uh, call you up and talk
2: about?
0: About whatever was happening, because he didn't do stand up, mm-hmm. but he was such a comedic mind. He wanted to talk about whatever was happening. That like he would call after the Grammys mm-hmm. and do a half hour on the <laughs> Grammys, <laughs> really, and then he would do and. A lot of it inappropriate and just he was like he would call about the impeachment right now. Mm-hmm. He would call about whatever yeah. was happening and the Super Bowl and someone in an ad or mm-hmm. whatever. He would just go off. That's amazing. That was amazing. Yeah. Those were special phone calls. Yeah,
1: that uh, his scene, his his iconic scene in uh, in Curb <laughs> where he tells uh, Larry and, and Jerry the joke. The dirty joke. is Is still an all time, an all time favorite of mine. <laughs>
0: man he had so many great stories too he was in production for such a long time Mm. working with like red fox and all these crazy guys yeah that was that was one of he was he might have been the funniest person yeah yeah that's
1: great well thank you so much for doing this today Uh, this was a great conversation yeah yeah really
0: great thank you and uh you reminded me of things i probably should have forgotten
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's what i'm here for thanks Thanks again to Tom Papa for that great conversation. Next time, I expect bread. Tom's new stand-up special, You're Doing Great, is streaming now on Netflix. And you can hear him on What a Joke with Papa and Fortune, Monday through Thursday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on Sirius XM Channel 93, Netflix is a Joke Radio. If you like this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find the show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week!
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more